Um, if you've got a Bible, you want to turn to John 19, 17 to 30. Um, and we're, we're looking at something that Jesus said on the cross. Um, John 19, 17 to 30. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests and the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them into four squares, one for each of them, with the undergarments remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let us decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled, which said, They divided my garments among them, and they cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his own home. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scriptures might be, would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on, on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I want to concentrate on those, on those words. It is finished. And I know this is quite often a, a thing that we talk about at Easter, but it's such an important point. It is finished. From the moment our first parents sinned in the garden of Eden, God started to work out his rescue plan for, for humanity. As we all know, everything had been marred by sin. But right from the beginning, God already knew what he was going to do. And he was working out a way of bringing people back into the relationship that they had lost with him. And eventually to bring the whole of creation back into that, to right alignment again with him. And the story of the Old Testament is a story of, of uh, victory but it's also a story of defeat, not of God, but of God's people. God sought out a people. He started with Abraham and he built a nation. And sometimes they did well, sometimes they didn't. But God pursued them and he was passionate and God has always pursued a people. 
God has always loved people and his design right from the beginning was that he should restore that relationship that we had. And when we read the Old Testament, we see these great judgments. And if you read Isaiah and other prophets, you, see, you can see God angry, but at the same time you can hear the hurt in his heart and his passion. There's many things in the Old Testament I don't understand, but if you listen, you can hear the passionate heart of God desiring that his children would be right. So the whole of history was pointing to this moment. That sacrifice, that cry of it is finished, is the pivotal point in history. One covenant had come to an end, and a new covenant was beginning. And it's, this morning I want to look at this, it is finished. But it is finished is not a cry of a defeated man, it is a cry of triumph. Now, of course, those who don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God would say it was a, uh, he was just a good man and it was a, a cry of defeat, that he had done all these good things and they rejected him and finally he had died. And they would, they would say it was a cry of defeat, but we know that it is not. It is finished is a cry of victory and it reverberates throughout eternity because what Christ accomplished upon the cross was to completely change everything from that moment on. If you want to see what the victory of, Christ, of God looks like, you might think it will be in, in great acts of power, in him destroying the earth or his enemies, all this sort of thing. But we see the greatest victory of God in a man with his arms outstretched on the tree, dying and suffering. It turns around the whole way that we, we see power and we see victory. Victory comes through suffering. Victory comes through, through, um, through death and through resurrection. Now, I would, would like to really unpack a lot of what there is about, um, about this cry of it is finished, but to be honest, it is such a deep thing that I could spend hours and hours and hours talking about all the different aspects of what Christ has done for us upon the cross. And I guess that's what the whole of Christian theology is about, is trying to interpret what God has done. And I think through all eternity we will be learning new things about God and about what this one thing did for us. And we'll never plummet the, the, the depths of it. But one of the things that he fulfilled was all the requirements of the law. Now, um, in John, uh, earlier on in John, John says that um, Jesus, knowing he had accomplished everything, he then cried out. He knew he had accomplished all that we could not do. Now, I've talked about this lots over the last few months, about the grace of God, because I know it's such a trap for us as Christians that so often we feel we have to do certain things to be accepted by God or even heard by God, but God only has a has a relationship with us if we are doing the right things. But Christ has done everything for us. Christ has paid the penalty for our, 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 our sin and he has kept the law for us. And in fact, if we, the Jews thought that they could become righteous by keeping the law, by the letter of the law, and then you see Jesus come in and Sermon on the Mount and he shows it's not just about keeping the letter of the law, he says, if a man says, you fall to his brother, 
it's the same as murder because it has the same attitude. It's not just the letter. If a man lusts after a woman, it's the same as adultery because it shows what's deep in his heart. So if we're trying to make ourselves righteous by trying to keep the law, we fail. We can never completely fulfill it. The law is supposed to push us back to Christ and to make us realize that we cannot be justified by it. It's not for us to fulfill. It's for us to to be able to see we, we cannot do it and to throw ourselves upon God. And in this, in this cry of it is finished, we see a cry that says that the law has been done away with. The law has been fulfilled in him. That all of those righteous requirements have now been met in Jesus, in his life and his death, and finally, as we know, in his resurrection. And he paid the debt, not just for us, but for the whole world. You read 1 John 2, verses 2, verse 2, and it says, and I should have marked it before, but I didn't. 1 John 2, verse 2, well, actually 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you, that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now I know that some of my reform brethren would say well, that whole world doesn't actually mean whole world, but I believe it does mean whole world, that he paid the debt for everyone. It's not just for those who already believe, but also for those at the moment who do not believe. And that's not to say that, therefore, that, that, we, that they, they benefit it straight, from it straight away. The gift does not do us any good until we receive it. And, and I, I know that I'm preaching to converted here, so in some ways this is a gospel message, but I'm preaching it to the converted. We have to receive the gift before it, 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 it has any benefit from us. But the price has been paid. And the gospel is that everyone may now come to know God, knowing that God has forgiven them, that he's already, already paid the debts that they have. So when we proclaim the gospel, we're proclaiming a done deal. We're saying to people, it's like when the Americans, um, or when the slavery was abolished, and say the law, the law was changed, but some, some of those who had uh, slaves, they chose not to tell their slaves, and they remained in bondage. And the benefit of it only came when they heard the news that slavery had been, had been set aside. And as we proclaim what Christ has done, we're saying, look, it's changed. God is no longer um, going to hold that to your account if you turn to Christ and you know him. So we're preaching a done deal. It is finished. The price, the full price for the debts of the world, past, present and future, have already been paid for. Such was the magnitude of what he did for us. 
So we don't need to beg God to forgive us. We just admit our need and turn from him and like we have done, come to know him. And our sins are forgiven completely, past, present and future. Jesus died once for all and it is finished. He defeated Satan and all the powers of darkness on that cross. On the cross, Satan was defeated. The powers of darkness tried to kill the Prince of Life. All the fury of hell was poured, poured upon him. But Jesus, unlike Adam, remained faithful to his God, to, to his Father. He wasn't moved to sin when Satan poured his worse on him. The proof of this great victory was the resurrection. The grave couldn't hold him. Satan tried to bind him, but in doing so, he was defeated. Now, there are many theories of the atonement, and the atonement is so deep, there isn't one theory that's completely satisfying. And I guess since the time of Anselm, who was the, uh, an archbishop in the 11th century, the main theory that we've, we've sort of built our theology has been the satisfaction theory of atonement, that the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus in our place. And there is much truth to be, be taken from it. But it is only one theory, and I don't want to negate that idea, but there are others that the church has held dear over the years and gives us different insights into what happened upon the cross. The early church fathers, they, they saw it as Christ conquering Satan and the powers of darkness. They saw that what Jesus did was to take on all of the powers of darkness and defeat them. And I don't know if, I guess a lot of us have, have either read the book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, or, or we've seen the, the, the movie. And C.S. Lewis, who actually got a lot of his theology from the early church fathers, because he, had a, he, he was a man who liked the classics. And I, I remember reading him somewhere that he liked to go at the beginning and see what was taught at the beginning. And I've heard, and we have the story of, 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 of this, this, this triumph from over, the, over um, Satan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you remember the story, Edmund betrays his, uh, his brothers and sisters and Aslan. And then you have this picture of the White Witch coming to, to Aslan demanding payment because the law said that Edmund must die. But we find instead Aslan takes his place and the witch thinks she has triumphed. She thinks that she has, she has won the victory over Aslan and Aslan's led to the slaughter. And in the movie, at least, you see all the powers of darkness coming and doing their worst to Aslan and finally Aslan is killed and they rejoice because he's dead and out of the way. But then we see Aslan rises from the power, from the dead and that the power that's held Narnia in bondage is broken. And in the words of C.S. Lewis, and I don't know if I've got this quote completely right, he talks about there being a deeper magic that she did not know about, the witch was not aware of. But by killing an innocent victim, she broke the law and lost her right to rule Narnia. And many of the early church fathers saw what happened on the cross in a similar way. When Adam sinned, Satan was given legal right over the creation and over humanity. All was subject to death and corruption. He had the right to take and bind guilty humanity 
But in taking Jesus, in killing him, the perfect man, he overstepped his authority and broke the law. The taking of the life of Jesus broke Satan's legal rule over us. We enter into that victory when we put our trust in what Christ has done and we become united with him. And as I said, this is just one theory of the atonement. And there are a few others. Some are weak, some are strong. But I, I, really, th- I really, really think it's an important part of our understanding of what Jesus has done. And there are other, other passages, there are passages in the Bible where it talks about the victory that Christ has won over the powers of darkness. From the moment Satan lost his legal right over earth and its inhabitants, the victory was won. Sorry, from that moment, the victory was won. We do not fight against the enemy from a position of defeat. We are on the victory side. It is finished. The defeat of Satan has been accomplished. And we don't win victories over him, but instead we stand firm on the victory that Jesus has won and and enforce it here on earth. And we often talk about spiritual warfare. But one of the big parts of the spiritual warfare is to stand and to stand firm. It's standing on what Christ has done. It's not us trying to win new victories for him. He has done everything that we need. And when we proclaim the gospel, we proclaim that that gospel, he's made the provision there as I said earlier, for those who are going to be saved. All the provision that we need has been won in Christ. I know sometimes we can feel that there's something lacking in us, that we need to add something to ourselves, but we need to see that Jesus is everything. The good news is that that he, he is all that we need. Everything that we need for our own personal lives, for our lives as Christians, he has provided for us. We haven't got to bend his home. We haven't got to win it ourselves because it's finished and Christ has provided for it. All we have to do is reach out and receive his abundance. And that's the reason that we can pray with confidence and that's why we can go into the world with confidence. Though we may sometimes feel like we are defeated, and I know I sometimes feel like I'm defeated, the truth is I'm not because in Christ I'm victorious. The more we understand what Jesus did is a finished work, the more we will live in the reality of that victory. So I want to end it there, but I want us to, to, to just, just um, think on those things, of what, what Christ has done. I know this is, none of this is new, and I know this is almost like the basic gospel, but it's something we need to keep reminding ourselves. There's nothing we need to add to what Christ has done. And in fact, if we draw upon what he's done, we will see the victory working out more and more in our lives. Not because we won it, but because he's already done it for us. And it should give us confidence and boldness when we're talking to those who don't know him. 
that he has already paid the price and that he is already victorious. And when we see everything going on around us that looks bad and, and, and we know, or is bad and evil, we know that Christ is victorious. And the powers of darkness may be trying to, to put on a big show, to try to prove to us that they, are, that they are still powerful, but their power has been knocked out of them by what Christ has done. And one day they will, will pay for it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that those words of triumph. It is finished. Thank you, Lord, that we don't come to something that's unfinished, but it is finished, Lord. And we ask that you would open up our eyes to understand more of that, Lord. To search out the depths of your love and your forgiveness. To search out the depths of what Christ has done for us. We thank you that he's, run, he's won everything that we need. All we need to do, Lord, is to reach out in faith and receive it, Lord. Help us, Lord, not to look at our feelings as they're so, un they're so changeable, Lord, but to rely upon what you say and to trust, Lord, that your name would be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.